First Timothy 5, verses 5 through 10, these are God's words. Now she who is really a widow and left alone trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And these things command that they may be blameless. But if anyone does not provide for his own, and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Do not let a widow under 60 years old be taken into the number, and not unless she has been the wife of one man, well reported for good works, if she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has diligently followed every good work. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. The widow who is really a widow here uh, is the subject we started thinking about that in verses 3 and 4 last week. Uh, those who are really widows are, as verse 5 sum, sums up that part of it um, in our passage for this week, uh, she has been left alone. It's not just that she doesn't have husband anymore, uh, but she doesn't have children or grandchildren. Uh, and uh, the context is one in which we have learned to live in a godly way, live in a way that recognizes that we have been created to know God and to make him known, to serve him and to do good to others as he does good to us. Uh, and so that has come out in the speech uh, of, the, uh, of the minister as an example to the congregation in verses 1 and 2. Uh, we show piety first at home, uh, in imaging God and serving him and doing good to others uh, in however we talk, whether to brother or sister uh, or mother or father. Uh, and having learned that life of serving and living unto God, even in the way that we talk in our homes, then he can come uh, and then he comes and he gives us the instruction, live like that in the congregation too. Having practiced your piety first at home, having uh, practiced godliness first at home. Practice it then in the congregation. Uh, well, this is also applied to the children and the grandchildren. If she has children and grandchildren, God is giving them opportunity to uh, to continue obeying the fifth commandment, to honor their mother, to repay both of their parents, to repay their mother upon whom uh, upon uh, whose care now rests upon them, and even to repay their father who in the days of his time in this world had loved his wife as his own flesh, as his own body, and had taken care of her and provided for her. Uh, and now he has gone, and perhaps he has not left her with, uh, with what can care for her, except that he has left her with children, uh, whom he has given the discipline of the Lord and the instruction of the Lord. And part of that discipline and instruction was that they would honor their mother, uh, and so if she has children and grandchildren, uh, she has not been left alone. There are those now who have come uh, from her husband. There are those who have their opportunity to practice 
their piety first at home and repay their parents, for it is good and acceptable before the Lord. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. This is good. This is acceptable. God has put it uh, in his law. Uh, well, it doesn't surprise us then that the one who is really a widow is not only the one who has been left alone, as we heard in last week's portion in verses 3 and 4, uh, but the one who has come uh, into a, a season of life in which she first shows her piety at home. And you say, what home? She has no children. She has no grandchildren. She is, as verse 5, left al- verse five says, left alone. But there's something marvelous that happens when in your ministry to your husband, you're not just ministering to your husband, you're ministering to your husband unto the glory of your God. You're submitting to your own husband as unto the Lord, out of love, not just for your earthly husband, but for the groom of the church, for the one who made you and redeemed you with his own blood and has counted you precious. Uh, And uh, over the years, up until she's 60, and if she isn't 60 yet, then she hasn't had enough training in loving and serving uh, the Lord this way. Uh, and so she is to be trained as she uh, as she makes the meals and as she attends to the home and as she rears the children and as she uh, and as she plots and plans uh, all of her domestic life to be as efficient as possible, not so that she can go hang out with her friends for coffee, but so that she would even be able to be hospitable to strangers and to wash saints feet and have more time for charitable works and the whole time she's doing this she's doing it unto god and as she does it unto god she does it as uh, as a sinner saved by grace and dependent upon grace she has peace with god through the lord jesus christ through whom also she has access by faith into this grace in which she stands and so her heart is always going up to god for strength, not to grow weary in well-doing, for patience with these children who try her patience, for meekness with her husband, who sometimes is right and sometimes uh, is wrong. And she's often found out that when she thought she was right, she was wrong, but she's other times been right and he was wrong, and yet he's the head. Uh, And so she has meekness under him, trusting in Christ. And she's constantly lifting up her heart to God praying for herself, praying for her children, praying for her husband, praying for these strangers that she's going to lodge, praying for the other people in in the church that she's doing good works to. And as she lives this life of selflessness, self-forgetfulness, pouring herself out unto God in the good works that she does for everyone, she, she is doing it only and especially by prayer and by the word of God, putting on that full armor, for the spiritual war that Ephesians 6 describes uh, in order that we might do well in our domestic lives as a wife or as a husband or as a child or as a father or as a master or as a slave. And so the gospel of God and the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the the uh, the the truth of God and the gospel, uh, uh, I already said gospel, uh, the helmet of salvation and all of these things, but we wield them all, how does he say, all in prayer, all prayer being the thing that holds all uh, everything together. This is the life of a Christian. The faith that Timothy has been commanded 
to teach and to bring back by uh, this ministry unto Reformation in Ephesus is a faith and a doctrine that accords with godliness. And so uh, it is it is lived out in the all day, every day, remembering the word of God, interacting with God, praying. And now she's alone. But she's not alone, is she? She might not have a husband to serve with her hands. She might not have the children to serve with her hands. She might not have the resources. Although I think after the church obeys this, she will have the resources to extend hospitality and lodge strangers. But she's been trained through a lifetime of lifting up her heart to God and having communion with him, fellowship with him in her service. To never be alone. Because she's always living life in fellowship with God. The sort of thing that each of us wish that we could have. But even following what the Lord gives in his word to do. The apostle here says, don't let her be taken into the number until she's 60. Because in God's ordinary providence, it actually takes decades of dependence and devotion to God in these other things that are necessary parts of life. And so he forces us into them. Because if we don't do our work, people don't eat. If the husband and father doesn't do his work, we're unable to to procure things. If the, if the wife and the mother doesn't do her work, we're unable to prepare things. So just to survive, it has to get done. But to get it done well, to get it done Christianly, to get it done unto the Lord, to get it done out of love for one another, it takes that dependence upon grace and that life of the heart with God. And so he says, by the time she's 60, by the time she's 60, she will have had enough training. And as we'll hear next, next week in the younger women passage, if she's not 60 yet, then she hadn't had enough training. She needs to get another husband and other children and spend more time learning this dependence upon and devotion to the Lord. And so when he's describing a widow here, he's describing someone whose prayers are going to be, uh, as uh, to, to borrow a phrase from uh, Spurgeon, the power plant of the church. Uh, they apparently had a place in the basement of the church building where people would pray during the services. They had multiple services. And, uh, if it wasn't your turn to be at worship and you were part of the, the, the group who did that, you'd be praying for the worship while it was taking place, asking God to pour out his Holy Spirit, asking God to save and give the new birth. <laughs> Someone asked him once what the key was to, the, to his preaching. He um, brought them down to where there were people praying I don't know, maybe they even prayed when it wasn't the worship service. And he showed them the people to open the door and let them see the people in the room praying. He said, this is the power plant of the church. Well, here, she who is really a widow and left alone, what does she do? She trusts in God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. She has a ministry, and I say this, uh, not meaning to diminish, but with reverence, but so that we may appreciate 
the sort of ministry that is described here, a ministry that is analogous to that which the second and third persons of the Godhead do for us. Jesus, who always lives to intercede for us. The Spirit, who helps us with our praying and who also intercedes for us. Now, this doesn't mean that she doesn't sleep. She's finite and she's still sinful. But she's a mature Christian and she's learned fellowship with God. And the prayers of a righteous man are very effective in their working. They avail much. And she is as fruitful and productive after 60 and more so perhaps even than before 60 because God in conforming her to Christ by the fellowship of the Spirit has produced the image of his ever interceding Son in her. And what the Apostle is describing here is putting her on the payroll. When he finishes the honor the widows section that starts in verse 3 at the end of verse 16, he gets in, he gets into the very next verse is going to be, let the elders who rule well be con- counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. There are people whose labor is going to be in the word and doctrine, and whose labor in part is going to be in prayer. That's what he said. Um, that's what the apostle said in Acts chapter 6, when uh, when there was the, the need that arose to administer and oversee and make sure that the distribution was going well. And they said, we aren't going to give up our ministry in the means of grace, uh, overseeing the spiritual care of the church. Uh, in order to oversee the service of the church and material things. And so the diaconate was formed for that. But they said, but we will give ourselves to, and the first thing they said was prayer and to the ministry of the word. Because, and pay attention, boys, especially because uh, the Lord giving you to be a husband or a father, you are going to be ministering the word to your family. And you will not minister the word to your family rightly if you are not a praying husband and a praying father who prays for your family and prays over the word and has fellowship with God in his word so that you can lead your family in having fellowship with God and so that you can do so in dependence upon God, asking him to do his word work in your family's life. There are many people who use the phrase family worship. And they have led many Bible readings and many prayings and many singings. But they have not led their family in worship. And so an elder is to be a praying man. uh, And especially those whose labor is in the word and doctrine, which we might to, to, uh, to say it in a way that is, Uh, analogous to what we have in our passage, who continue in the word and doctrine, laboring in the word and doctrine night and day. But we know from Acts chapter 6, a big part of that is prayer. He says, if they're doing that, don't muzzle the ox. They're devoting themselves to the ministry in the means of grace, and they are worthy of a double honor. Well, the widow is worthy of honor. 
put her on the payroll. <coughs> the sort of widow that we have here uh, in First Timothy chapter 5. And say, well, that's a bit harsh. What if, what if she's not this kind of woman? And he says, verse 6, she who lives in pleasure is dead while she lives. And the implication is, let her find something else to do that's fruitful. You know, maybe she can, you know, whatever else it is. But there's another way of taking care of her that doesn't give her a ton of free time. Because if she hasn't learned to love fellowship with God, then free time won't be good for her. It will kill her spiritually. She will want to do the going and hanging out that younger women still want to do, as we'll hear about in, in next week's passage. She'll want to spend her time in hobbies or whatever. So he says, she who lives in pleasure, she who indulges herself, she who has been harmed by a church culture like the ones we have in which we talk to children constantly and we say, oh, that was fun, or wouldn't this be fun if, or that'll be fun, or, and what do they hear? They, they hear implicitly in the way we talk with them, I exist to have fun. That's how we measure if something is worth doing. The apostle comes and said, that way of thinking about life is death. And we should not financially facilitate living that way. It's interesting, isn't it, when man makes up his own holy days. And even if he says that they're about the Lord, and he might have a service, and he might have a devotional, and he might have a devotional every day. And yet how much of those observances and celebrations end up focusing on, oh, this is such a fun time of year with all of these fun traditions. We don't live for fun. And the church is not to harm, to harm a 60-year-old woman who has been left alone and she's about to enter eternity and with her on the doorstep of eternity, we're going to increase the amount of free time she has, even though she has not been spiritually matured by a lifetime of service. Don't harm her that way. That's what he's saying in verse 6. He's not saying, don't put her on the list because she's not good enough and she's not worthy of the money. He's saying, why? Would you help her physically only to harm her so much spiritually and help her to be dead even while she lives? That may be love and good works and charitable deeds in the eyes of the world. But that's not how Christians should be thinking. So he says, these things command that they may be blameless, that they may be different from the world, that the whole church, not just the widows, would be blameless. But the whole church working together in delighting in God and depending upon God and devotion to God would be blameless. 
And then he repeats the instruction, verse 8, uh, that is similar to the instruction of verse 4. If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he is denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let them show the piety now, verse 8, that they have seen their mother and their grandmother show for their whole life, verses 9 and 10. And so this this widow who is uh, at least 60, uh, what has she done between her mid-teens or late teens when she got married and the age of 60? She's been the wife of one man. She's been a one-woman man devoted to him. Not living for pleasure for herself. This dovetails with our lesson in the Seventh Commandment in the Shorter Catechism this week. Uh, that the Seventh Commandment teaches us to find our pleasure in God and the right fulfillment of all the good uh, desires that he has given us in his design so that she doesn't find her romantic pleasure uh, in the idea of romance and in how it makes her feel and, uh, and but rather in the fact that God has given her a husband uh, and that the husband... Uh, that she has as the one that God has picked for her, and that God is giving her an opportunity to glorify him in the kind of wife that she is. And as her husband loves her and shows her that affection, and she reciprocates it to him, the romance of it is great because of who God is. And it is connected to the person of her husband, that he is her own uh, and not merely that that it feels nice to give and receive romantic feelings. She she wouldn't be the kind who would read so-called, and I'm not even sure there can be such a thing, Christian romance novels, or allows her mind to wander and float in romantic la-la land, because it's not attached to the person of her husband. She is a one-man woman, the wife of one man, uh, just like the requirements for an elder or a deacon, that they would be a one-woman man uh, and not allow their, their lusts or their romantic feelings to wander and be inflamed except in connection to their wife. What else would she be like? She is well reported for good works. She has brought up children. Oh, how much of her ministry, her whole life, how many hours and days and how much sanctification and grief and ironing out of the wrinkles uh, and cleaning out of the spots uh, from her remaining sinfulness, uh, how much of that is summarized in the phrase, if she has brought up children. And how God sanctifies us through them. If she has lodged strangers, she does good works for her neighbors. <clears throat> if she has washed the saints' feet, not just her neighbors, but especially her brothers and sisters. If she has relieved the afflicted. You, you see the, the, the circle narrowing. You know, she does good works to all. She lodges strangers. She washes the saints' feet. There's a special focus on the the needs of the church and how the church can be served. But then within the church, there are those who go through a season of affliction. 
the illness or injury or bereavement or uh, the loss of financial means or whatever it is. And she's learned to, uh, to not just learned, but she's spent a lifetime seeing those as assignments in God's providence. God has given my sister affliction. God has given our brother affliction. God has given this family affliction because he has given us the providential assignment of loving them and helping them in the midst of their affliction. And then he summarizes the whole after he's done these concentric circles. If she has diligently followed every good work, and as she did those things in dependence upon God, and he has trained her heart to have fellowship with him. The apostle says, by the time she's 60, she has been prepared by her service to know that God is enough for her, to not feel like she has to be entertained, to not feel like she has to be social. All of that has been ironed out, washed out by the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. And she knows what to do with herself. She doesn't go stir crazy at home. She doesn't feel like she has nothing to do. She still has her God. And she still has his word to her in the scriptures. And she still has his ear, which after a lifetime of practice, decades of practice, she makes good use of having the ear of God and continues in supplications night and day. And he says... Put that woman on the payroll. It's not just a charity role. She's continuing, isn't she, to serve her neighbors as she prays for her neighbors. She's continuing to serve the saints as she prays for the saints. And she's continuing to serve the afflicted as she prays especially for the, the saints who are in affliction of every kind and now especially because it's not through the lodging and the meals and the, the whatever medical care can be given. She prays especially for the spiritually afflicted. Those who are being carried away by false doctrine. Those who are being carried away by their sin. Those who are under discouragement and doubt and depression. Who aren't sure of their faith or might not even be converted. And she's got this glorious ministry of prayer. Churches need widows like this. They need the older women who God has providentially assigned to this ministry. And they should be glad to provide them a full income in order that they may be able to do so. And perhaps even that they may continue to love strangers if they are able or wash the saints' feet. Continue to be generous. But how can be, they be generous if they only have a bare subsistence? So what's being described here in these six verses is much more, much greater, uh, I think, than what we are accustomed in the churches today. Uh, to thinking about when we talk about uh, the care of widows. But may the Lord uh, give you, my daughters, a life of loving him and serving him and dependence upon him and devotion to him that, yes, is going to be 
hard because that's how endurance comes, remember? But that through the training you learn to hope in the glory of God. Uh, and you rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Uh, so that when you come to that season, he will be enough for you. And you may continue serving in a way that will be even greater. The final act will be more powerful and more necessary, more needful um, than the previous acts of your life have been. Let's ask God to help us. Oh, our Father, this way of living with you and living before you, we know that it is the way of, from your word, but it is definitely not the way that is from our hearts, from ourselves. And we live in a world and even in a church culture where it is not the way of life. And so we pray that you would make us more and more continually mindful uh, of you, that you would make us to do every part of our duty every day in dependence upon you, in hostility to our sin, enjoying you and your glory in it and the opportunity to love you, and depending upon your love for us to produce in us, by your grace, the, the like-mindedness unto Christ, that you would give us to live in fellowship with your Spirit, that you would make us a people whose hearts continually go up to you in prayer. Oh Lord, I pray that you would help me to be the sort of minister that the apostles uh, said that they needed to be, committed themselves to be in Acts 6. I pray that you would give our sons the, uh, the ministry as husband who washes his wife and as father who brings their children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. That they would be men of prayer. Pray that you would give uh, the daughters the and give my wife the same sort of ministry for the bringing up of their children. That they would be women of prayer and for every duty, even now for the duties they have as children, for the duties they have as sisters in the home and sisters in the church that they would be thinking about their neighbors nearby and the lost around the world, that their hearts would be uh, even now being trained to know you and to have fellowship with you and to reflect your priorities from your word. Oh Lord, we pray for the churches and for our congregation that you would give such reformation of doctrine and life that the sorts of instructions that you give here, that the sorts of instructions that you give here would fit and connect, and that you would bring your church into a season of such like-mindedness unto Christ, uh, that it would be ordinary to think of the women who are brought into this season uh, as being uh, the <coughs> part of the power plant of the church uh, whom you use mightily among us. Grant it, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.